0: life is going to give you challenges struggles it's going to force you to face your fears even though these may feel like your worst enemy in truth these are actually your greatest allies my name is lance icos welcome to the university of adversity what's up everybody welcome back to university of adversity we got a great guest for you today All you entrepreneurs or business owners or founders or CEOs, wherever you're at, this is a great conversation, particularly for anybody that's just starting a business or you're on your way and you want to get a little bit of help or a little bit of insight into what it takes not only to grow your startup, but what it's going to take to take it next level and scale it. We have Nick Bradley today joining us. He is a world-renowned business growth expert who works with entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors transforming good companies into great ones. Over the last decade, he has built, bought, and sold over 22 businesses with a combined valuation of 5.2 billion dollars. We get into all things business. We didn't go into as much, you know, typical adversity per se as we would um, you know, usually with somebody's story or the challenges of their life or whatever. But what we really went into was the adversity that people may face on a daily basis when building, growing, and scaling a business. And I really wanted to ask him questions from my own perspective, from where I'm at, because I know that the questions that I'm asking will serve a lot of you because a lot of you listeners... You're either a business owner, or a potential business owner, or you want to be an entrepreneur. And there's just a lot of things that we talk about that you'll be able to understand why people fail, why people succeed, what you could do differently in your business, what you should look out for, You know, things that you can do to change your physical body so that you feel good, you have a deeper belief system. There's a lot that goes into being an entrepreneur. Trust me, I know. And I've got my ass kicked many times. And this was a great conversation because um I really wanted to ask him, you know what it takes. You know, we actually gave us three key steps as to uh, what you guys can apply in your life around how much you want to make, what does that look like, and um are you set to do that now? I'm not going to give away exactly all the questions and how we went into it, but um trust me on this one. You want to listen to this right to the end if you're a serious business owner, entrepreneur or um, you're just curious about that, this is a great episode. Make sure to follow Nick on social media. All his information is in the show description and the show notes below. And always, you guys, if you're new to the show, welcome to the family. All you regular listeners, welcome back. If you guys aren't subscribed to the podcast yet. Please go ahead and do so. If you're listening to this, wherever you're listening to this, subscribe or follow. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and the bell to stay notified. Also, if you like to give back and you'd like to support the show, really appreciate a five-star, honest five-star review if you feel called to do so on Apple. And I'm going to start reading them out, actually. You know what? I just got that idea right now. I did it right in the beginning. But I'm going to start reading out reviews each show. So starting next episode. I'm going to read out a review, and maybe your review will be read out. Theirs gives you some incentive. It really helps with the growth of the show. It really helps the more reviews we have, the better. Um, and Apple's one of those places where the reviews really matter. So much appreciated, guys. Sit back, relax, grab a coffee, get on the treadmill, whatever. however you listen or watch podcasts, whether you're cooking dinner, I don't know but this is a good one. So enjoy Nick Bradley coming right up. Here we go, Nick. So good to have you on, man. I know it's been a while since we're trying to make this happen, but here we go.
1: I know. I think we started talking last year at some point, (laughs) but then travel and craziness and everything going on in the world right now, but it's happening. We're here. So it's all good.
0: Technology, man, allows us to be able to connect and share it with the world. And, you know, I love what you're doing, you're doing, man. And Obviously, you're an expert in what you do and people need it because a lot of people, I feel, you know, will get into this lack the real true mindset of what it takes to even stay consistent and continue to build a business, Never mind scale it. There's so many factors that go into it. And I'm just, you know, I'm blown away by the success that you've been able to have. But where I'd like to start is just kind of, I kind of want to just dive into how you even became such an expert in this, like what was you, how did you get into business in the first place? Like what, what was your, what was your your first (laughs) business? And how did you like, what, how did the ball get rolling into like what you become today?
1: I'll give you, I'll give you, I mean, it's a bit of, it's one of those stories, right? Which kind of has lots of pivots and transitions. So I'll try and give you the succinct A to B, but I think, you know, if I'm honest about it, like, those transition points are probably the most valuable to people listening because they're the points where you have to make a decision, right? Usually, usually from a position where you don't feel as empowered to do that. Mm. But, you know, to answer your question, and I appreciate what you said by the way, because you know, from the outside looking in, it looks like I've done all these cool things and I've done some great things, but it's not what I would call it wasn't always easy. <laughs> and sometimes it can look easy from the outside. But I started my first business in my late teens. I was about 18, 19 years of age. And this is, this is back in the late 1980s, early 1990s. Like I'm an old dude, right? There you go, right? I'm almost, well, I'm, I'm closing in on 50. Like, Wow, like, oh, dude, you look like you're in your 30s, man. Good for you. Yeah, man. It's it's diet and exercise, sleep, water. But so, yes, yeah, so I started this business and it was, and this will probably give it away a little bit. It was a personal training business. It was a fitness business. And back in the 1980s, the only people who really engaged in that or could afford personal training, right? Were lawyers, stockbrokers, doctors, you know, it was, it was something that was like a high net worth thing. And, and I kind of got into it because I was into fitness and all that sort of stuff, but I had this business. I ended up having it for three years and then I sold it and I sold it for, for 3000 Australian dollars at the time, which is probably a Starbucks coffee these days. Right. I like to say back then it was enough to get me from where I grew up in this little town called Adelaide in South Australia to Sydney, where You know things were happening and when i got to sydney i started working for a big corporation called news international which was owned by rupert murdoch so one of the biggest media businesses in the world if not the biggest and i got that job and this is where like sort of serendipity kind of comes in and stuff because i was training those wealthy individuals in my personal training business and of course they are very connected and the intro i got into rupert murdoch's um, empire if you like was through one of my clients Mm. and so and there's, there's a point here to underline. I, 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 at a very early age, started to understand the power of rapport and the power of connection and network, right? How important it is to build those deep relationships, truly build those relationships and what it can then provide for you, particularly if you're there helping people through that, through that relationship. And so anyway, so that was a great experience. I, I got a job with News International as the marketing manager of Men's Health Magazine in Australia. And yeah, it was cool, like really good. I used to live at Bondi, i go surfing every day, go to work, you know, literally get up at 5.30, go surfing for an hour, and then I'd be at my desk by eight, and it was great. And, um, and I stayed, stayed with News International for a while, and then I got poached, if you like, to go and work for a competitor, which was a UK, an English publisher that had like an outpost in Sydney, and they were called East Midlands Allied Press, or EMAP, and they were one of the biggest publishing groups in the UK at the time. And I ended up doing quite well there. And then they said in around 2002, 2003, do you want to move to the UK and head up uh, one of our divisions? So I said, yeah, cool, right? And it was like a secondment for nine months that it ended up becoming permanent. And I literally spent the next five years over here in the UK, you know, in the magazine game and all this sort of stuff. But What was, what was fascinating is this is when digital was starting to pick up, right? So Amazon hadn't even exploded then, like the iPhone hadn't been invented, but digital was starting to hit and all these newspapers, magazines and stuff like that just started to get disrupted, right? It doesn't we don't think much about it these days, but people just don't buy those those things anymore because everything different digital. world. That was a different world, that's crazy. It feels like it, right? And yeah. we're not talking that far back. We're talking yeah. sort of that 2003 to 2008, right? Just before the crash of 2008. Was when a lot of stuff was going on. I mean, a lot of the billionaires that you see out there in the world today were creating their businesses in that sort of early two thousand piece, uh, riding this wave of of change. And so I was really lucky because I I kind of was 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 in magazines for about a decade, but I was also there as it was starting to come down. And the group, the business I was involved in, EMAP, got sold, broken up into all these little bits, and private equity um players started to come in and started to buy bits. And that was my first introduction into this world of private equity. And I'll explain what that is in a second. But I ended up staying there. And then once that all happened, I got another job with another media company called Getty Images, which some of you listeners may have heard of, big content-based business, digital content based out of Seattle, but I was working out of New York and London. And again, this was a business that was bought and sold multiple times. It acquired businesses. It bought something like a hundred and, and something companies over the space of a few years and just created this behemoth that was like an absolute monopoly in digital content. And, and as I said, it was private equity backed. And so, so what private equity is, is it's where you have high net worth individuals putting money into a, into a fund. And sometimes those individuals can be endowments, university endowments, it could be pension funds, and they'll put money into a firm and that firm of individuals is, is basically given the right to go out there and acquire businesses and bolt other businesses together to create these big groups and then sell those businesses and make a lot of money for the shareholders. Okay. So there are more millionaires and billionaires from the world of private equity than any other entity. Right? Not, not many people know that, more than real estate. Huh. And so I managed to go from the media corporate space into this world of private equity. And I was like blown away right? It was like, wow, I mean, lots of money and craziness. Like, have you ever seen, there's a show called Billions, which is, have you seen that? It's like it's a guy called Bobby Axelrod on it, where he just basically trades and makes money and like, you know, drives around in Ferraris. It's like all that. That's how crazy it was. And anyway, so I, I went into that world and then I sort of got sucked into that world. And I was, you know, going into businesses that were failing, literally they'd been invested in, but were failing. And I'd have to go and turn them around. And sometimes that was going in there and sacking everybody, like literally going in there with envelopes, right? You're out, you're gone, you're out, you're gone. And rebuilding the whole thing to try and drive growth. And as much as that may sound kind of interesting, it's actually really soul destroying, right? Like, you know, there's a bit where you have to become clinical, like almost, almost detached from emotion to be able to do that properly. The easiest thing I could explain to you, Lance, is if you were like, I know, like a surgeon, like a heart surgeon or something like that, and you have someone die under your care, mm. you know, if you, if you let that get to your head or get to your emotions or whatever, then you probably couldn't do the job. And it was a bit like that, like hundreds and hundreds of people losing their jobs. And I was all, right. And so long story short, like, you know, amazing career yet yeah? did all these cool things. And then about four years ago, I had a massive breakdown, right. As a result of it. And it was one, it was three in the morning or thereabouts. And I remember I had this massive pain here. Like I woke up and it was swollen. I'm thinking what's happened, right? I thought like, you know, has, has something fallen from the ceiling? I literally thought has something fallen from the ceiling and smashed me in the face? And then the other thought I had was, have I been bitten by like a spider or something, right? Like, ah, bam, pain. So I went to the bathroom and looked in the mirror and my face was like this. And then I had my tongue, right, going around inside my mouth and I had like teeth. Like teeth, bits of, bits of my teeth. And so what I'd done is I'd gone to bed and I gritted my teeth. I clenched my jaw so tight. Like it was like being punched in the face and I shattered the two molars on the right side of my jaw. Wow. Right. And all of this was going on. And so, so basically long story short is I had this amazing career doing all this cool stuff. You're right. Like it was great fun at the time. I started to get really just distressed out about the whole thing. Right. Had this situation. And then literally within three or four weeks after that, I decided I'm quitting the whole lot. Mm -hmm. And the decision I made, right, is I thought instead of working for the private equity firms, making the investors wealthier, I'm going to jump on the other side of the table and I'm going to work with business owners and entrepreneurs. And I'm going to teach them what is effectively a secret playbook, the secret playbook of private equity, so that they can learn what these guys are doing to make vast sums of money, vast wealth. And the guys who really create. The wealth, the guys who create the value, the entrepreneurs, I wanted to be able to give them the tools to be able to go into this game and, and to be honest, to be, to be armed enough to be able to get the value that they create. There go. That's a short version. There's pivots. And- yeah,
0: there's a, there's a few things there, but I love to touch on what you talked about around like the emotion when it comes to business in general. How, first of all, how difficult that must have been to have to go in and sack people. Cause you're, you're a nice guy. You have this nice energy about you. It must've been almost like. I was different back then, Lance. (laughs) Fair enough. You've learned. Yeah. I just, this, this really struck a chord with me because it's so easy to get really emotionally attached to, to things in business and people. And, and sometimes it can really cloud your judgment as far as. You know, productivity and, and whether you should make moves or pivots, you know? So, how much of that matters to be able to emotionally detach from these things, these you know, people and and i ideas in business, so that you know when do you know when it's time to make those decisions, you know, there because is, we can all get so like it can be so challenging to separate logic from emotions,
1: right? There, there is there are transitions in what I call the entrepreneurial journey, right? So. There are a lot of people who create businesses and then the businesses go bust, right? And it's not, really, it's not really because the idea was that poorly executed or whatever. It's usually what's sitting up here in the person's mind, right? The mindset. So as you start a business, there's a certain mindset that works. You know, usually it's hustle, it's creativity. It's this energy that you get in the startup, right? And you're so focused and you've got this mission to solve a problem and all that stuff, right? Really cool. When you hit the scale up phase, which is where I mainly focus what I do now, and I say this a lot, I say it takes a different identity to be able to transition. And the reason for that is you can't, if you're the entrepreneur, who's the creative, the person who's created this thing, you can't be that person anymore. If you, if you try and run a business through scale up as being the person that's at the center, right? The cog of everything, the thing will collapse. So you've almost got to, you know, back to your word of detachment, you've got to take yourself out of the situation, almost give oxygen to the business for it to grow. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a really interesting point you make because most people don't know a, when to do that, recognize that that needs to happen. They, they leave it too late once they do recognize. So, so there's this kind of mindset play where like I'm now stressed, overwhelmed, burnt out, because I think the only way I can get through this is to be more in the business when it's the opposite is true. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so this is like, you know, people come to me all the time in this situation and The ones who get through it are the ones where the penny drops and they go, hi, so, so so it's me who has to change. Yes. Change yourself first. And there's a few techniques around how to do that. And then watch what happens to your business after that.
0: Yeah. There's, there's so much about the personal growth and the resilience. You know, I could just speak from my own entrepreneurial journey. It's just like an emotional roller coaster, and it's, it's checking your emotions and 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 it's looking at things in the right state of mind, too. Like if you're gonna look at your business and what you're doing when you're you're feeling like shit or you're you're on you're low, it's not a good idea, right? I mean, it's so I've just noticed like that can start to you know kind of snowball and then you start to doubt. and then the doubt, you know, it's crazy what happens and 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 most people quit, right? Like most people quit before they get started before they even pick up steam. And why is that? Like, why, what is it? Is everybody looking for a shortcut? Is everybody, is everybody looking to just make millions overnight? Like, what is that? Like, why do most people fail? Is
1: it a lack of belief? Like, what is that? I think it's a combination of all of that. I mean, people underestimate, this is my, if I jump to 30,000 feet for a second, just kind yeah. of look at what I've seen, right? People underestimate the challenges that come through entrepreneurship. Right, like, so, so you know, th- there is this expectation. I think that it's going to be easy. That I can be my own boss. I'm going to have freedom. You know, I can be a millionaire. Wh- whatever those goals or those ambitions are, I think people do think that. What they don't realize is the journey of entrepreneurship. And I, I've, I've I've said this a couple of times, and I and I I forget who told me initially, but it's a great analogy, is that it's the roller coaster, right? Like you know, and and some days, you know, you have your best day and your worst day, and it's the same day. Right. <laughs> okay. And like, you know what I mean? Right. And, and yeah. that's the emotional sea. so, so, so then the question becomes, well, if, if that's what it is, if it is the fact that like someday I'm going to have the best news ever, the next day I'm going to have the worst news ever, or whatever it is. That's not going to change because entrepreneurship is like that. It's unpredictable. Right. You can, you can do things to make it easier along the journey, but when that startup, it's like the rocket trying to go through the atmosphere. Once it gets through the atmosphere. It doesn't need as much power energy. It kind of just coasts along. But to get through, that's a lot of effort. And people, I think, aren't resilient enough, focused enough, don't appreciate what that takes. And then they never even break through. They never break through. And then they go, oh, entrepreneurship, blah, blah, blah. But then a lot of them, and this is the thing that's a real travesty, is they're giving up on their dreams, right? You know, And that has a longer effect, I think, on people mentally, emotionally, than just trying to ride it out. So, like I said at the very beginning, the only way through it is you've got to rebuild yourself, right? Personal development like I've done. Shitloads. I can't tell you the money I've invested in personal development. I' got coaches coming out of everywhere. I'm in mastermind groups, right? I'm yeah. always around people because I find that that proximity not only gives me the knowledge gaps or fills those knowledge gaps, but it gives me the the belief. And, and the confidence that I'm with others and I'm sharing the journey. And right. these are all little tricks that make a big difference, I think, or, t- or strategies to, to help you to be successful in this.
0: Yeah, because then you also realize that you're not alone. You realize that other people are going through it too. <laughs> like, it's not like, <laughs> you know, when you're, sometimes when you're struggling in business or even in life, sometimes you feel like you're alone. But when you know other people are going through the same shit, it just makes it that much easier because you can relate to other people. Like nobody has it easy. Everyone has their own their own stuff they're going through. You know, whether you see it on social media, whether their life looks perfect, they're still going through their own battles. Like they're still going through their own stories oh, yeah. and untangling of things.
1: Right. Sometimes it's much worse than what you're going through. I mean, this sounds terrible, yeah. but I've been in I've been in mastermind groups where I think my shit's really bad, and then someone else has got like something really, really bad and go, Oh yeah. That's on me. They're like, wow. <laughs> but
0: even hearing that,
1: you're like <laughs> Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, but, but the good thing is like, and and I run different groups these days, I've got people in my masterminds and stuff. And like, you know, we do, we do this thing where we share everyone's wins and challenges. And what's really cool is when people are talking about their challenges, you see other people going, that's my challenge. Yeah. Right. And then it's like, okay, let's, let's clock this now. Right. Like, okay. How are you, how are you, what are you doing about it guys? You, you tell us. And then they say this and then other people throw stuff in. And by the end of it, like, you know, an hour, 90 minute call or something like that, you see people, their whole energy, their, their body shifts. Instead of them being like this, you are slumping. They're like, wow, chest is out. They've got, they've got something they can take away. Right. And these are the things there's no, there's no quick fix, but there are strategies, as I said, that as an entrepreneur, you have access to which will make the journey a more fun, absolutely more fun. And the chances of success will be higher because of it too.
0: Do you also think that you have to have a big risk tolerance, obviously, because I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to have to invest a lot. And if you don't fully believe and you're, you're, you're scared of losing it all, then that's going to stop you, right? Do you think that the people that, get through to a good business and then we'll go through what it, what it means to have a great one and how to get there for the next level. But I'm just curious as to like, how much do you have to just ignore that fear or face that fear? I and mean, maybe because there's, always, there's a chance it might, it might all fall through, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that as an entrepreneur, you have to be able to lean into fear, right? Or lean into uncertainty. But at the same time, when you get into risk, there's a certain point where fear can become paralysis, right, for you. So, so what I find, like, you know, I'll, I'll give you a classic example of what I'm talking about. So I've done a lot of stuff with Tony Robbins and John Z and all that, Amazing. and, and Tony, Tony Robbins talks a lot about this concept of burning the boats, right, uh, yes. you know, this idea that you have to go all in on one thing, and, and, you know, for people who haven't heard it before, it's this idea that if you're going to take the island, you know, you're going into battle and you're in your boats and you're going to the island, the way to create certainty and belief to be able to be successful to, to take over the island and beat the other army or whatever is burn your boats, right? The concept being you got no way out, right? Yeah. You're either taking the island, that's it. Now, I don't think that's the best advice because some people, if they do that, like they, they, they take out a big loan, the same sort of thing. They do something which means it has to work or there's no way out. Sometimes they are so focused on the risk or the pain of that decision that they're paralyzed to be able to do the things that are going to help them get through it. And I've seen people's businesses go bust when they're followed that. I've also seen people who have made smaller calculated risks, which have allowed them to do something challenging, but at the same time, it hasn't stopped them. If anything, it's given them a little bit of momentum and that momentum is compounded. And so it's a tricky answer because it's not just about taking massive risks. It does depend on how you're going to contextualize those decisions so that you're never stopping you know, the 1%, 1% better every day is more important than the big bet.
0: Yeah. And then there's also like that, that, cause I read that in think and grow rich also. Right. And then I think about it and I'm like, it's risky, but then I get what it means a little bit because then it's almost like that full belief for yourself. It's like almost you're, 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 you're saying you're 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 almost admitting that, and then you get this other opportunity that can come. I mean, I know you're it, it's, but it's risky, right? People could lose it all. It's 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 a tricky one, because in one side it's like, well, yeah, we just got to do it, and then something will open up. But then there's also the chance you could fail and nothing. Right?
1: Like, as I, as I said, it's it's, it's advice. that yeah, do you know what? There's no right or wrong answer. So yeah. this is one of those sure. ones where. You know, because Arnold Schwarzenegger's on. He's got this great video. If you Google it on YouTube, where he says like "No Plan B," and you know he's got his accent and all this. No Plan B. And it's great to watch because, like you're saying, like when he was a bodybuilder. But, but I, as I said, I've seen people who have tried that, and as soon as they've made the decision, they literally they and I go, "Well, that wasn't right, was it?" And they're like, "I, I just don't know what to do now. I'm stuck." Mm. And that's where I think it's an individual decision. So, mm. you know, I, I, I think both both pathways, to be frank, can get you to the outcome right? Just depends on how, which one, which one for you is going to be the most effective. So what about if somebody
0: makes, so they make their first bit, let's say they made the first million and they, they got there and then all of a sudden they get scared and they want to hold on to it and they, they don't want to lose that money. Do you see that? What does it take once you get there? Like what's the next level so that you're still playing big because you had to play big some way to get to that million. But then some people like want to hold on to that, right? And not lose it. And like, I have a million now. Like, do you see that? And how does what happens with people? What what shift needs to happen from like like continuing that pace and not focusing much on that versus like that that trying to hold on to that mentality of I don't want to lose this versus I want to make more.
1: Yeah. So it comes up a lot. It's a little bit like the whole winning the lotto or the, the lottery stuff, isn't it? Like people, but I mean. Okay so I'm a little bit um, different when it comes to my thoughts on this because I've got this concept that you should try and get rich once right so so my idea is you know if you've got a business you know build it to an exit an exit meaning sell that business for life changing money mm. and so in private equity that's what we do right we, we we are we are only focused on buying an asset that we can dispose of for a shed load more cash okay and so so when people come into my world like let's say they've got as you said, they might've just hit seven figures in revenue. Okay. And they're like, how do I scale now from, from a reasonably good foundations, right? If you've got a seven figure business, that's pretty good, right? You know, you may not be making a heap of money. People don't understand that it's in the profit that you make the money. Right. Yeah. But even so it's, it's a good milestone. And then I'm like, okay, so what you have to do is you have to build it up so that you can get an eight figure payday. Okay. So if, if I gave you $10 million today and you invested that just in a standard, what we call 7% like Vanguard account or whatever else, You'd be getting fifty to $60,000 per month for the rest of your life, okay? Hmm. Now, I don't know what you spend your money on. You're in Mexico, whatever. But that's a lot of money, right, for most people. Like, that's, that's a good income for life, particularly if you're a young dude. Now, that's $10 million. Now, so, I know we said a million, but my view is if you're going to get to a million, just go a little bit further. Yeah. Just go a little bit further and then get that exit. Build something of value that someone else wants to buy then, and this is the important piece once you get to what I effectively call financial freedom, most people don't need much more money than that if they're getting that. Like they, they arguably never have to work again if they invest just smartly, right? Not buying NFTs and Bitcoin and all the shit. But they'll never have to worry about money again. And then from that really strong baseline, they can go off and do something more, right? They can make a bigger impact philanthropically or they can build bigger businesses if they want to. But it's almost like banking your financial freedom first. And that changes the psychology and then go again. a okay? mm-hmm. slightly different way of doing it. I know a lot of people don't talk about it like that, but I'm not the guy, like I've got a heap of Bitcoin, right? And I can tell you what I did. As soon as, as soon as I bought it at about $4,000, it's now whatever it is, 40,000, I cashed out my investment early doors of what I put into it and then just decided to leave everything else. in. Okay. So the idea is I never lost money on Bitcoin because I took my money out that I put in. And then I thought, I'm just going to leave what's left. And if that ends up going to zero, I haven't lost anything. If it ends up going to 10 million one day, well, that's great. Okay. And a lot of people don't think like that. They go, I'm going to buy more Bitcoin now. Yeah. Not that, not that I'm against this stuff, by the way. Just no, so no, no. Clear. This is
0: great because, I mean, I love the perspective. I mean, I got a good, I mean, I don't have a lot, but I do have money in crypto and Ethereum. But, you know, it is, you know, you look at it and you're like,
1: man, this could go
0: away. <laughs> this could also take off.
1: It could. And, and that's back to your risk. It's a great question on risk and, and NFTs for a second now, I'm no expert in NFTs, right? And and I'm probably wrong in terms of, you know, these, you know, sleeping apes or whatever the hell they are, right? Going to be worth lots of money. Crazy. Wow. It's probably true. I've got two young daughters. I've got a seven and a 10 year old and they are obsessed with this game thing called Roblox, right? And they, you know, they buy effectively stuff in the game. So it's the same concept. It's buying a digital asset. right, but but, you know, what I say to people is, you know there's nothing wrong with also just playing your lane. Like I know how to buy and sell businesses, right? I've learned that for years. I just play in that lane. I don't get distracted out of that lane, right? If you're passionate about real estate and you want to learn real estate, go and get a mentor and learn real estate and play the lane. And once you've got some financial security from playing the lane, right, then you can start to prospect out and diversify. But don't do that before you' you know you're a millionaire. Like most millionaires that I've been around, they get to that status by doing one thing exceptionally well and staying focused on
0: so just would you say okay so let's let's talk about someone that has a bit of cash they got a business but their business hasn't fully got to that level like should they be investing in anything else or just all hands on deck all money in the business first or should they be like spreading it around in the stock market or Real estate. So I
1: don't, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a believer, there's a couple of things here. There's a difference between the investment that your business needs to get it to a certain position versus what you're doing to build wealth, right? So, and I'm not a, a financial advisor per se, but, but my view is you need to not starve the business. So a lot of people, what they do is they take the cash out of a business they've got, and then they start to diversify and they're, they're effectively suffocating the business because the business is only just getting a little bit of the resources it needs to get to a really to the next level. And the reason they're doing that is fear, right? You know, as we said from the outset. And for me, you, the capacity of your brain to be able to have multiple things going on when you're maybe not a position where you've got those resources, like you're still struggling to pay mortgages or whatever else, then you're better off focusing and growing what you've got in my opinion. Mm. Uh, So I've, I've managed to do a few different things like that. And now I diversify, but I've already got, I've got seven companies now, right? Doing different things. So for me, it doesn't matter so much. But for someone who's on that first trajectory, I say, just get your business to a great level and, and then have an end game. This is the important bit, have an end game because you're going to exit your business at some point. You're either going to sell it, you're going to exit yourself and have someone else run it and keep the cash flow, And then you can definitely take that and invest in whatever you want. Or something's going to happen to you and you have to leave the business because you could become sick or ultimately you're going to die. So you're going to exit your business at that point. So work out on, you know, let's not be morbid, but on that trajectory of your options, at what point is your exit? You know, what are you building towards? And that one thing, Lance, when I, when I talk to you know, my clients about it and stuff is it changes their whole paradigm. Oh, wow. So I now know what I'm doing and then the focus comes in and then they become more successful. Just from that one change in how they're thinking about what they're trying to create.
0: What if a, a founder, a CEO, entrepreneur? What are some things that they should really be focusing on? Like, it should it be sales? Should it be like? What are three things that there should be their main focus to keep? Okay, so
1: let, let, let me let me let me sort of um, give you three questions first, and then we can get sure. into that because it depends on the stage of business as to what you focus on. Right. But but when I go, any entrepreneur. So even if they've got an early stage business or they've got a business that's doing seven or eight figures, I I, I ask these questions because again it, it helps them shift their mindset, right? So the first question is, what is your life-changing number? Okay, what is your get-rich-once number? Hmm. Okay, and, and you know it's funny, right? A lot of people don't even have never even asked that
0: question. Well, I'll mm. I'll I'll just I'll just answer it because I'm just going to put Go it ahead. out there. I I 100 million. Perfect. Good. I've been visualizing
1: okay, that. I've been, that's, that's number. Right. Okay. So hundred million is your number, right? So, okay. So this is cool, right? So now this is, you can either answer this now or go away and think about it. I often say go away and like journal on this, the next right. question. The next question is why does that number matter? Mm, that's a great, great question. Why does that number matter? I, I encourage you to think about it as a you can answer some stuff now if you want to do, but I encourage you to go away and think about it because when I did this exercise, Hmm. seven or eight years ago. I came to this a bit late. So when I left private equity and I started to become more entrepreneurial, I had to go in, I had to change myself because I was a scale-up guy for a private equity firm. Now I've got businesses that I start and buy and do all sorts of stuff. So I had to almost reconnect with that entrepreneur that started that personal training business at 18. I had to reconnect. And so I hadn't answered these questions. So what I did is I created a 20-year vision of what I wanted my world to be like when I was, I did this when I was 40. So I was like, what do I want my world to be like when I'm, and that helped get clarity on the why. Okay. So it's definitely right. a thing. The third question, you ready for the third question? Okay. So the first one is, what is your life changing number? Yeah. Second one is, why does that number matter to you? Yeah. Third question, this is the kick in the balls one. All right. You ready for it? Yeah. Just mention Lance. You're gonna, is, is what you're doing now in your business, and maybe your life going to get you there. Most of the time, the answer is, I don't know. You might come up with a like belief, like I believe I'm going to get there because I've got this. But I'm talking about the mechanics more than the mindset. It's
0: such a great question. So would that mean? But wouldn't it take more, like a totally different system to make a hundred million than it would be to like make a million? Or like you, it's it's your number. Hmm oh i love that question man i think for all you guys listening out there make sure you do this exercise this is powerful because not only are you you're visualizing but it's like you're you're it's it's mechanical around like why you think that and it was what you're doing now gonna get you there it's such a powerful way to look at it and what if it's not let's say people are listening they're writing it down they're like "Shit, i don't know if what i'm doing can get me there
1: now what okay so so there's a couple of things here. When people put big, some people, when I ask that question to them, come back and say, a billion dollars, I want a billion dollars. And th- that's where the second question becomes really powerful because, okay, well, why do you want a billion dollars? And most often the time it's, it's significance and status. Well, you don't need, you, I can tell you right now, you don't need a billion dollars. I don't need a billion dollars. I can create generational wealth of probably 20 or 30 million dollars if I'm, if I'm smart about it. Right. Like a hundred million is good. Like, you know, I, that's, I've got that in frame for me and I'm building back from that. Right. But but the point is, like, let's say, for example, you've got a business now and it's generating, let's play with this, like you know with some of the listeners here. Let's say you've got a business now and you've managed to crack the seven figures. Okay. Like really cool. You know, it's all working, it's growing well. Okay. The way you're going to get it to eight figures, which is where you can create maybe your first exit, is you're going to have to bring in systems and process and people. So that starts to answer your question about where do you invest. But the way I look at it like this is let's say your business is doing a million dollars and your goal was hundred million. As, 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 you know, that's what you want to have, you know, from a wealth perspective. So if your business is doing a million and it's quite profitable, it's probably going to be making sort of 300,000 in profit. Okay. Now, if I was going to come and buy that business and I wouldn't buy that business because it's too small, right? It's effectively like I'm buying a job. That business would be worth probably around about one to $1.2 million. So if anyone would buy your business at that level, you could sell it. It's called a capital event, right? When you sell your business for a sum of money. So that, that you've, you've, you've got 1 million bucks in your, in your, in your hands. Okay, thereabouts, 1.2. Okay, so now if your goal is 100 million, how do you get to that? Well, if you want to sell your business to private equity, the stuff that I did, a business that's doing, let's say it's doing, to make round numbers work, 10 million in profit, you'll sell that business for 10 times Okay, 10 times that profit, and that gets you your 100 million. Still with me. Okay, because the multiple or the value of a business is based on scale. So the bigger the business, the higher the multiple. And the multiple is basically what you times by the profit. So what I did at the beginning, I said if a business is making $300,000, it's worth about three to four times. But if it's doing 10 million profit, it's worth 10 or more times. So here's what you do, right? If your business is doing 300K profit now, and you know that for you, because you want to get to hundred million, it's got to to get to 10 million profit. You've got to work out what am I going to do in my business? It's called the Delta to go from 300K to 10 million. Hmm. Okay. So then you'll go down a layer and say, okay, well, in the next two years, could I, could I get that 300K to a million profit? Yeah, I probably could. Marketing, sales, you know, good product, all that, right? Then I might go, okay, now that I'm at a million, could I buy a couple of businesses? Could I buy a competitor or could I buy a supplier? Who else, who else in, my, in my customers, what else are they buying? And maybe I buy two or three businesses and they're all doing a million each. Like all of a sudden I'm at four to five million profit. Hmm. I'm halfway to my number. So I know some of that stuff is maybe above and beyond what a lot of people you know, listening to the show would understand. But there's a way, what I'm trying to get across is there's a way of orchestrating back and if you said to me, if your number was 20 million, right, if that was your number, then you'd probably need to get to something like 4 million. So imagine if you're at 300K now and you, you only need to get to 4 million. So it doesn't seem that hard, does it? Like I'm at 300K, I've got to, how do I get to 4 million? It's going to take me, maybe three years, but what decisions am I going to make? And then all of a sudden, I could sell my business and have 20 million in my bank account.
0: I think that's great because it's important for the entrepreneurs. Out there to listen to this and understand to think bigger and think about it like that, because it's easy to say, well, I want a hundred million, but it's like there, you, there's more to think about. There's
1: it's yeah, hard. and this is how private equity guys think, and this is where, you know, how I said beforehand, I jumped from the side of the table to be the the guy on the side of the investor to the to the side of the entrepreneur, right. is, is I I was sitting there seeing people like you know like yourself or some of your listeners come in and they just didn't understand this world, and I'd be. I'll pay you this for your business and you go, oh, that's great. That's great. And then I'd take what you created, right? All the foundations. And then I'd make, in some cases, 10, 20, hundreds of times more. And I'd be like, you just don't know what you're doing. I wouldn't say that to you. But, yeah. you know, I wanted to make people like, you know, yourself and your listeners aware that just thinking bigger and maybe, maybe just challenging a little bit of what your vision is, right? right. You know, it, it changes the trajectory of what you can, you can actually create.
0: Do you see a lot of people scaling wrong or too fast? Like, how do you know? Because it's easy to get excited. Like, oh, I got all these people coming in, sales. Let's just, let's just go after, let's just blow this thing up. Right. It's, do you see that a lot? Like, how do you know whether to keep your emotions in check and do it slowly versus like it's time to like take a rocket ship to the moon? Like,
1: walk us through this. Yeah, you well, you you've got to. back comes back to this risk and fear thing we spoke about a little while ago. You've got to make decisions where you really understand the risk, because you know there are some points where people can get so emotional. Instead of stopping what they're doing, they do the opposite. They go all in, like you know, the whole idea of putting all in in blackjack or something, like. Right? And they haven't done the work to understand if that's a good decision. I'll give you. I'll give you a classic example of this. So when you're scaling two of the most important things to get right is bringing in the right people Mm. and building, building your business based on processes and systems. And so the, the way I articulate this is you want your business to run like a well-oiled machine, right? So that if you went away for three months, right. And sat on a beach and all this sort of stuff, the thing would work better without you there. Right. That's when you know that you've got your scaling working (laughs) now. The question then becomes, how do you get there? Right. So okay, let's let's just play with the people side. So let's say let's say this person comes in, and they are just a brilliant operations person, right? Let's say you're the visionary, you're more marketing or sales or whatever. And this person comes in, and they're just going to basically make everything work beautifully, but they're expensive, okay? And you're looking at it at like imagine it's like a six-figure salary, right? And you're like, man, I've only ever paid people like thirty grand, twenty grand because I'm a startup guy, right? Yeah, you know the feeling, right? So hit, so hit, this is how you do it. Okay, you look at that, that let's say it's 100, 100 grand, right? And you go, I'm not really paying them 100 grand. I need to make sure that I have the cash flow in the business for the next three months. So divide that 100 grand by, by 12, it's going to be about 8,300 or something like that. So in reality, all you've got to make sure you've got right is you know 27 grand. Mm. Okay, so, so, so my view on those sort of things is as you're scaling, don't get scared by the bigger risk. Quantify the risk. Because if you can afford 27 grand, you can give it a shot. If it doesn't work, you're not, not, you're not, you're not losing a hundred grand. And some people just don't understand just, just going down a little bit more granular to work that out. Makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. You got me. So if you, would it be better to invest that in a person like that versus have it
1: invested in something else outside of your business? It's what what it comes down to no i wanted to be more precise what i just described i was just checking because i wrote something earlier basically what i described there is if you if you can cash flow 50% of the salary of that person for 3 months right 50% you can cash flow 50% of the salary of that person for 3 months you should hire them so it's a better decision to hire them than not just on that example i just wanted to be explicit but back to your point about where do you invest well it depends if if you've got predictable leads coming in like like Stupid amounts of leads coming in, and you can't service those leads. Well, then you need to invest in a sales team. Right. Okay. So you need to be able to close. So, so, so I think of a business as having four main systems. Okay. Right. You have a system that generates inquiries or leads. Okay. Customer attract. You have a system that converts those leads into revenue. You have a system that delivers. Okay. Builds the product, whatever, whatever the product or service is, it's a delivery or fulfillment. And then you have a system which is what I call the economics, the metrics and the measurement, the cash flow, the finances—all systems. So, so where you invest in in sort of scale up specifically depends on which of those systems is overachieving. So, you know, again, if 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 you've got great operations, really great operations, but there's no leads coming in, you've got to invest in marketing, right? If you've got great marketing and sales, but customers are leaving you because the experience they get of your product or service is crap, you've got to invest in operations. If you have no visibility of, let's say you're running out of money all the time, every single month, you don't know how you're going to pay um, staff wages or whatever. You've got to invest in the economics, the finance side. You've got to get visibility to know what the drivers are to make sure that you've got predictability of your cash flow and profit. There's no one answer, but when you look at those systems, that's where you will get the answer.
0: Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because everybody's at a different place with, you know, when they're starting a business and it's like, how much do I invest? Like, how long do I go before I got like cash flow coming in versus output? Right. Cause like you, you have to have some sort of output to hire people to help build the systems and you, you know, to be able to work on projects and, and, but then, you know, for how long does somebody have to go before they're. They're making profit before they're like, "Okay, what we're doing isn't working," because, like, there's a certain amount of investing that you have to put in in order to get the thing running in the first
1: place, right? Most startups rely on the energy of the founder, beginning, and and two people ask me this quite a bit. They say, "What are the two roles that I should hire when I'm, you know, at the very early stages of the business?" Yeah, and and there are two clear roles for me, and and the order does depend on what you're good at as the founder, but. The first one is marketing, right? You know, and I and I, I come from a marketing background, but I think marketing is more important than sales. If you're driving demands, if people are knocking on your door, if you're becoming oversubscribed because your your offer and your message is dialed in, right? Like the next problem becomes, well, oh, how do I close all these things, right? And then how do I fulfill? But marketing is important. The other one, particularly as you're scaling, is is general admin or operations. So this idea of high value tasks versus low value. So if you're the founder and you're still running around picking up your dry cleaning, you know, and a lot of them still do, right? You think, you know, or doing their gardening and their cleaning and stuff. You know, what I say to people then is work out what your hourly rate is, right? Or at least pay yourself an hourly rate, even if it's fictitious. And if anything you're doing can be outsourced less than that, you've got to back yourself that your time that you're going to get back is going to be more valuable in terms of growing and scaling the business. Right. So, but you know, what I find in startup is, you know, a a person will put a bit of money in or they'll put a lot of time in and they'll get a certain amount of momentum, then they don't realize where they should be, should be investing. And, and, and that's where they become unstuck and they try and do it all themselves and then they can't grow because they again become the bottleneck. So that happens at startup. It also happens at scale up. It's slightly different in scale up, but the same. Again, it comes back to mindset, the same psychology, the same, like I need to be the person I need to do it. This control is the thing that stops growth.
0: Dude, valuable
1: stuff. Let's,
0: let's shift a little bit to kind of like the physical aspect of a human and maybe go into you know what you do in the morning as a high performer and what you see works for people that really have to get into that state that high state like let's say Tony Robbins it's it's he's all about state management and I man I believe it so much like if you're it's it's so much as it relies on our emotions you know I know you do ultra marathons which is like freaking insane man like first of all how what do you do in the morning to get like you have to have the most important meeting or you have such a big day like how do you prime yourself to get to that level where you're just dialed in
1: yeah, so so firstly, firstly, I tried everything that everyone recommended. <laughs> so when I went on this and I kind of thought, and, I, and I, I share this because I think a lot of people do it. I thought I had to do everything. Like I've got to, I've got to read and then I've got to do visualization. And then I've got to prime and meditate and all this, right? And then and then I was getting up at like four. Like, oh, man, right? Like, and, then, and listen, four o'clock for some people is great. But I, I now get up at six. Right? I get up at six. Still- I get up an hour. Yeah, it's early, but it's not like, you know, these 4.45 do to like flash up. Have you ever seen those guys on Facebook and they, f- <laughs> yeah. they have to flash? Job through? back
0: for years, man. Yeah.
1: And I Four like three. all this stuff as well, you know. But, but yeah, so, so but what I found was this, right? And this is important. Yeah. I, was, I was so focused on ticking off the habit that I wasn't really understanding what the habit was giving me. And I was like, you know, I'm like, oh, well, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And actually I was more, I was getting more stressed at doing the habit and being consistent than I was from the outcome. And then I thought that's a bit shit. So, so these days I do meditate in the mornings. I do 20 minutes of effectively transcendental meditation, which is cool, right? Different type of, different style of meditation, but it's nice. And I do that once a day. They, in that philosophy, if you call it, they say you should do it twice a day, but I just do it once in the morning and it's great. Just gives me, you know, clarity and I'm just there quiet 20 minutes. That's cool. I do that. I, I have a cold shower for about three to four minutes every single morning. And in the cold shower, I have some form of affirmation or incantation. Okay, and I and I do a lot of breathing, and and the reason I do that is kind of the point you made beforehand. It's a state change. So if I get up in the morning, I've drunk some water, I've meditated, I'm still a bit kind of like you know I'm I'm getting clear, I'm getting clear, I'm still a bit like just bleh, right. I go in the shower, it's a warm shower, oh, it's nice, great, right, and then I crank it on cold, and that's that's game time, like right. boom, right? You know what that feels like. And in the process of that, I'll, I'll, I'll say some different incantations, which is just getting me focused for my day. And when I jump out of that shower, then I'm on it. So it's a quite a simple routine. I then take my kids to school actually every morning. And then I go to the gym after that. So about nine o'clock and I go every single day and I train for about 90 minutes every single day. And I love that. That's my time. I actually don't do any, what I would call work or work on my businesses until after midday. So hmm. the mornings the mornings up until like, you know, sort of that, te- I do a bit of reading, personal development. I do stuff. I walk the dogs. So I've got quite a long morning routine. It goes for effectively six hours, but it's, it's not broken down into this rush, 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 rush. I've got to do this, do this, do this. Right. And, and, it, and it gives me, and then, and then when I, hit, when I hit midday, I'm doing this stuff, I'm working on my businesses. And then I stop working around about six o'clock. So I only work for a few hours every day, like what you'd call work, but it's focused right? Okay. I'm not distracted. You know, I, I, I still kind of, you know, turn everything off and I'm focused for that period of time and it's much more productive, deep work. Do you drink coffee? Yeah, I drink coffee. Yeah. drink coffee. I've played around with that. I, I went to a Tony Robbins event called life and wealth mastery where they take you off coffee for a week. And I had these massive, like, you know, wow. withdrawal symptoms, but there are certain things in life. I just like, right? Yeah. Like I like coffee. I like red wine. I like eating steak. I'm not a vegan or anything. And And I, and I think this is where it's important. You've got to, you've got to measure how these things affect you. I go to bed early. I like to sleep all this stuff. And I've, I've dialed in my routines that give me the most energy, which is important, the most happiness, the most joy so that I'm not overwhelmed and I'm just Mm -hmm. but I don't think there's a right or wrong answer for anybody. And I think one of the things I've, I've learned probably over the years of doing this now, four or five years of really dialing it in. Is experimenting and testing and trying, right? And that has that has allowed me to kind of have a few things filter up to the surface, which have you know really helped.
0: How has your ultra marathons helped you with building your resilience? Like that's crazy, man. That's David Goggins style.
1: <laughs> Not quite as crazy as him, but I've done I've done a lot of running, sixty seven marathons and that's, a heap of ultras. Yeah, yeah
0: twenty four ultra marathons. Yeah, can you I explain know. to people what that is and just like. I know we're running out of time here, but
1: yeah, no, it's cool. Yeah. So technically an ultra marathon is anything over a marathon and a marathon is 26 miles, 42 kilometers, but really, right. You know, it's, it's anything around 50 miles upwards. So, so that's where you're starting to get serious. And that's obviously a double, it's a double marathon I've done. (laughs) Yeah. I've done a, a couple of hundred milers in that as well, which is four marathons back to back. And you know what it's, I, when I when I started doing it was actually bef- was in the private equity days, and I think I did it to run away from all the all the stress of that environment.
0: right, because it had to help you, right in, in, in to clear your head.
1: Yeah, it did, but it was also I, th- I think also back then I wasn't I wasn't as fulfilled in terms of what I do now, right right. So I don't think I was following my mission back then. I think I was following money and and significance. So the running was a cathartic meditative thing to do. That's one part of it, so it absolutely helped there. The other thing that I found is, and, and I still believe this part to be true. And it's the reason why I'm still big into fitness and health and, and, and physicality is that if you put yourself through hard things, right, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually to some extent, right? As things come up in your life, bigger challenges, you're better prepared for them. Now, like I used to walk into those boardrooms bulletproof because I thought, like, who the hell here can do that shit? None of you guys can do this shit. <laughs> and, like, and then you get the fat dude in the corner, and it's like, man, you're weak. Like but yeah, I don't I'm not proud of that, right, because I don't think that was one hundred percent fair or right, but but that was the psychology. and if you really go deep into this, right? Mm-hmm. Why did I do it? Because I had to build up my own confidence, right? So I had to be this a bit of a dick, right? Because you know with all this bulletproof kind of stuff going on because you know I had to be the guy, be the be the alpha. yeah, so so I, th- I think you know it, it, it I still do a lot of exercise. I still do a heap of um running and and you know I said I exercise every day but it's different now. It's more about energy. It's about longevity. It's definitely about state, you know, my state and, and those sort of things. But I also relax too. Like, you know, I, I said, I drink coffee, I drink drink alcohol. I don't, I go away on holidays all the time.
0: Well, you're an Aussie, man. I lived there for five years. You guys like to have fun. I love, I love Austria. Yeah. <laughs> you were talking about Bondi. Babe. I lived right on Bondi beach. So I, I know the vibe there.
1: You look like you look like you did, Lance. You know what? Yeah, you, know, you look like you should, to be frank. When you were telling that
0: story, when you were telling that story about getting up at that time, I was like, man, that's—I know exactly what you mean. That surfing, and then you go and there's a coffee shop across the street. Get your flat white. You know, it's yeah. like, it's a oh, beautiful man. experience, man. Yeah, dude, this was—I could talk to you all day. This was this was really helpful, man. The listeners are gonna love this. I think it's so important to talk to somebody that's such an expert in this and really break it down, you know, in a way that's easy to understand because like a lot of listeners are, are entrepreneurs or have business goals or whatever, whether they've started one or whether they're on their way, I think it's really important. So thank you so much for coming on, man, and, and sharing your wisdom with us. I really appreciate it.
1: No, it's been good. As I said, I hope it wasn't too, like some of the stuff I get into gets technical, but no, it's you great. Know, the, the simple message, the simple message, right? I think is you know, think bigger, definitely think bigger, ask yourself those three questions, right? That we went through and, and, and just start to plan things out a little bit more. Remember, you don't have to get overwhelmed by that stuff. Sometimes thinking bigger creates overwhelm. My point is, you know, at least have the North star, right? Be clear on that. And then, then you can start to really appreciate and enjoy the journey. So that's Mm -hmm. the main thing. Right on, man.
0: Well, thank you so much. Where can everybody learn more about you and check out what you got going on?
1: Yeah, cool. Listen, the the best places to find me on Instagram and LinkedIn, it's the real Nick Bradley. I had to call myself that because people, bloody stole my profile. That was fun. And I, and my podcast is called scale up with Nick Bradley, which you can find everywhere, Spotify, the usual places. And I've been doing that now. I think we're 240 episodes. So yeah, but a lot of the stuff I talk about and my journey, my experience, how you scale, how you exit all that, all that content's there. So yeah, listen to that and then reach out to me and say, if you enjoyed it. Yeah,
0: perfect, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
1: No worries. Thanks, Lance.
0: Thanks, everybody. If you guys got value from this, share it with somebody that needs us. Tag us on social media. It's always appreciated. And if you feel like you want to support the show, leave us a review on Apple. It's greatly appreciated. Or if you would like and you like to support the show financially, you don't have to, but if you would like to, you can go and purchase my course Warrior embodiment, how to embody the true warrior spirit in all areas of your life. And I promise you, it'll change your life if you apply it. It's everything I've learned from interviewing some of the most inspirational, successful people on the planet, as well as all the personal development work that I've done. I've spent tens of thousands of dollars on development. I've done, gone on many retreats, all different kinds of spiritual healings, you name it, which has got me to where I am today. And I created a course for you. It's going to be changing. The course is going to be going up right now. It's 47 bucks. It's going to be going up as I release our book, Mastering Adversity. That's coming out in the next few months. That's going to be going up in price because I'm going to be adding to it. So if you want to get it at the low cost of 47 bucks, go ahead and check it out. LanceECOS.com or go to my link tree on uh, or link in the bio on my Instagram. It's right there. All right. Much love, everybody. We'll catch you next time.